Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. You know, on this show, we love to talk about good things. And sometimes good things are born out of our biggest challenges and struggles. Today, we are talking about occupying our lives on the journey from suffering to enlightenment. My first guest, who I am delighted to share space with this morning, is Marianne Williamson. She's an internationally acclaimed author and lecturer. Six of her 10 published books have been New York Times bestsellers. Her books include A Return to Love, A Year of Miracles, The Law of Divine Compensation, The Age of Miracles, A Course in Weight Loss, Everyday Grace, A Woman's Worth, Illuminata, and The Gift of Change. Marianne has a popular uh, guest on television programs such as Oprah, Good Morning America, and Charlie Rose. And we're here talking about her newest book, Tears to Triumph. The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Welcome, Marianne. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it, is, it is truly a pleasure. Let's talk about the phenomenon of loneliness, depression, and separation from self and one another in this miraculous age that we're living in. Well, the age in which we're living when it comes to the way consciousness operates is really no different than any other age. There are laws of mind that were as true 500 years ago as they are true today. And that is that the source of happiness, which is broken of in all the great religious and spiritual traditions, has to do with the use of the mind. That is where happiness comes from. Happiness comes from using the mind the way the mind was created and intended by God to be used. And that is as a channel and a conduit for love and for mercy and compassion and forgiveness that leads to community and bonding and brotherhood and justice and all of those things that produce 
manifestations of goodness and peace and happiness and joy. But when the mind is turned away from love, when the mind is instead used the way the consciousness that dominates the planet trains us, actually, then the mind, instead of being used as a conduit for love, is often used as a conduit for judgment and blame and attack and all those loveless qualities that constitute fear. And that literally depresses us because it casts us into regions of despair, randomness, um, chaos, a, a place where we don't really know who we are, where did we come from, what's our, do we have any ultimate relationship to anything, to anyone, to other people, to the universe, to the earth, and that is depressing. So what we call depression is actually a symptom of this twisted mental filter that dominates the planet. And we're living at a time where there's all this, oh, there's an epidemic of depression. I don't think there's any more epidemic of depression than there ever was, although there's certainly an epidemic of over-medication, and particularly the oversubscribing of antidepressants to people who are experiencing that spiritual breach that we all experience at some point or another between the knowledge and the truth of the heart and how too often life turns out. But the answer to that is not to numb ourselves, but to close the breach between how things are and how they could be. I, I think you bring up something very important about the overprescription or overprescribing of, of medication. And I don't know that many of our listeners know this, or many people even know this, that the majority of um, medication, antidepressants or uh, psychiatric medications are prescribed by general practitioners and in the case of women by their gynecologists. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hugely important point because there's just such a propagandistic story out there about yeah. how depression is a brain disease and that's why people are being given this. But what you just said is so true. The vast majority of antidepressants are given by people, doctors who have nothing to do with the diagnosis of a, of a mood disorder, of, of, of a mental illness, much less a brain disease. How many people do you know on antidepressants had their brain chemistry checked first? Yeah. Um, so what you're saying is so true. And this is a talk about something that, that women should be rebelling against the idea of numbing us. You know, the fact that women, that we feel things so exquisitely, that we feel things so deeply, this is what's right with us. It's not what's wrong with us. And the fact that we are all, there's so much depression among women these days is because we know in our hearts and our guts that something is wrong. Now, if you yes. have a broken leg, it's important that you feel pain because it's your body telling you that you can't, just, you, know, you can't just numb the pain, you have to reset the bone. And psychic pain conveys a very powerful reason, uh, in, set of information as well. If, if you have psychic pain, we have to, to look deeply at the source of the pain. You have to reset your thinking, not just numb your mind. And so I'm glad you mentioned that. It's extremely important. And having uh, managed depression myself and in the past had uh, depressive episodes, I have learned that when those alarms go off, it is really a gift because it's telling me that something that I'm doing in my life is not working. I must dive into that discomfort and, and sometimes stew in it a little bit to 
find my way through it. That I, I, I actually, and this is not just for me, but this is anybody who is challenged by depression, that you, if you consider the uses of this adversity or this challenge, it is not only transformational, as you talk about, but transcendent. Well, absolutely. And when you were saying you had to stew in it, it's, it the, the journey is a process. Yeah. It's exactly that. You don't leave your house and then get there as soon as you cross the street. It is a journey from one way of looking at whatever the situation is to another. And the time that that takes is symbolized in the Old Testament by the 40 years that the Israelites were in the desert and the three days in the New Testament between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Things change in our material circumstances and in our emotions as a result of a change in our consciousness. But that change in consciousness isn't overnight. It's not like, oh, just snap out of it and think differently. (laughs) If only. (laughs) If only we have to uncover what are often very deep layers of illusion to get to the point where we cry no more. But on the other side, you know, we do enter, you know, in Buddhism it's called uh, nirvana. In, in the New Old Testament it's called the promised land. and the New Testament it's called resurrection. A Course in Miracles talks about inner peace. You can talk about self-actualization, enlightenment. It doesn't matter the words we use. What matters is the idea that when we are in this dark night of the soul, that through a higher power, by whatever we call that higher power, we can be and are delivered to a state of consciousness in which we cry no more, in which, as it says in the Bible and in the Course in Miracles, God himself has wiped away all tears. And this concept, this concept of surrendering or leaning into this place, this, this dark night of the soul, can be very frightening for people. Talk a little bit about that, that why the trust and the willingness to cross that threshold into the unknown is essential as part of the healing. Well, you know, hopelessness is not a symptom of depression. Depression is a symptom of hopelessness. Hopelessness is a place where you have no hope because you have no, you have not extended your perceptions to any realization of a world beyond the one we see with our physical senses. If we don't live with a conscious contact of some kind, if we don't live with a, a spiritual connectedness of some kind, whether it be, it doesn't have to be organized religion, it doesn't have to be dogma or dogma, but some sense of our connection to a higher power and within which our purpose is to love and be loved. Outside that circle, we are in constant fear. So we're afraid of everything. If we're close to success, we're afraid of success. If we're close to failure, we're, a close, uh, we're afraid of failure. If we're close to another human being, we're afraid of intimacy. So when people say, oh, I'm afraid to go there, well, you're afraid to cross the street. You know, that's really not about being afraid to go there. It's about living in fear, period. So when anything authentic is suggested, of course we fear it. Because yeah. we, we, fear, we fear the realm of existence we should embrace, and we embrace the realm of existence we should fear. What we should fear is the idea of only living within the construct of a world expressed and revealed by the physical senses. That's what we should fear because there is no ultimate happiness here. It is only when we see the mortal world through the filter 
of spiritual vision that it can bring us happy happiness. So what we should fear is never going there, not going there. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation with Marianne Williamson about her new book, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. To learn more about Marianne and her work, please visit Marianne.com. On Facebook, the page is Williamson Marianne. And on Twitter, it's M-A-R Williamson. But before we do, I want to talk to you about something that is super important, and that is our mental well-being between the election, daylight savings time, and if your family is anything like mine, Thanksgiving, it's been a tough couple of weeks. And while it's important to take care of our mental health, we all know that it can be hard to make it to the therapist's office. That's why we're excited that today's podcast is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that connects you with a licensed therapist for just $32 a week. Whether you want to talk about Trump, your annoying uncle, something going on at the office, or just want to work on becoming a better person, Talkspace can help. Using the Talkspace smartphone app or website, you can text and audio message your therapist as much as you want. And for a reasonable fee, you can have a video call as well. So don't lose sleep, don't lose your cool, and don't lose out on this special offer. Go to Talkspace.com harvest or use coupon code harvest to get $30 off your first month and to show your support for this podcast. Once again, that's Talkspace.com harvest. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7. And we are talking with Marianne Williamson today about her latest book, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Marianne, you write in your book about being available to our suffering as opposed to suppressing it or so commonly what we as humans try to do is numb it. Yeah. Well, you and I were talking before about how afraid people are of getting real. What we should be afraid of is is constricting ourselves and constricting our experience of being human by putting ourselves in these little emotional straitjackets all the time. Life has many seasons. And turbulent waters of life are part of life. And if you don't learn how to navigate those turbulent waters, you don't really learn how to navigate life. So into most lives, if we live long enough, and we hope that we do, of course, we're going to go through things. You're going to go through a breakup or a bitter divorce, uh, financial failure or loss, uh, professional failure, disappointment, and, of course, the loss of friends and family and loved ones when they die. These things happen, and it is not a sign of a, of, of, of a lack of mental health. It is a sign of mental health that we cry when things are very sad. It's a sign of mental health that you feel badly if you messed up. You don't want to be a sociopath who has no remorse, who has no conscience. As I was saying before, the fact we feel things deeply is not what's wrong with us. It's what's right with us. But what's happened recently is that we have begun to medicalize normal human despair. There is a spectrum of normal human suffering due to the kinds of situations that I described. They're not mental illnesses. If you're sad because you got divorced, this is, of course, a very painful situation, but it is not a mental illness. For young people, I think this is a particularly important topic. So many people in their 20s today are on antidepressants. Well, the FDA has issued a black box warning that for people 25 years old and younger, antidepressants actually increase rather than decrease suicidal ideation. And this is a perfect example of what we're talking about. The 20s are hard. They were hard for me. They're hard for everybody I've ever known. Because (laughs) for the first time in your life, you are experiencing very adult situations, but you don't have this backlog uh, like those of us who are older do of layers of experience that taught us through trial and error how to do this. But it's not a mental illness. It's a challenging time. It's, a, it's an emotional birth canal. But it, it, it's not a mental illness. And we don't even know. They don't even know the long-term effects of these antidepressants. And they don't even claim to know. And I think it behooves us to remember the multi-billion dollar um, profit center that this is for what I'm calling these days the psychotherapeutic pharmacological pharmaceutical industrial complex. So this idea of short-circuiting the sad times is a very dysfunctional reaction to being human. And in fact, when we lean into the suffering or when we lean into that which we fear, and usually it means not by attempting to diminish the fear, but raising the bar of courage to confront it, um, we are better equipped to go 
through this emotional birth canal, which you so eloquently stated. You know, yeah. I love that. <laughs> Let's talk about what we fear. What is it that we fear? We don't want to be depressed. We don't want to have a sleepless night. We don't want to have a, a sad time. There's nothing to fear there. We just don't want to go through it. Well, guess what? It's part of life. And it's only been recently, as you were talking before, that we've poured this cheap yellow smiley face over things. Like, everybody should be happy. You know, when I was growing up, I remember that if somebody's husband died or wife died or child died, the, I remember how my parents would talk about it. The society, when I was growing up, saw one year yeah. as yeah. a normal amount of time that someone would be in, 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 in mourning. What we should fear is the fact that we're, we, we have taken these dictates of a business model and so poured them onto everything that if somebody's not up at the office and functioning the way they were, you know, within a month, then there's something wrong with them and perhaps they should be on something. You know, a sad day. It's like, it's like seasons of, of life. There are rainy days. And you know what? They're part of the ecosystem. Nature needs those rainy days. I lived in California for a long time. I know what it's like to like be really freaked out because it's not raining. You know, uh, there are seasons that there, there, there is winter. Winter's cold, but it's necessary to the ecosystem. And sometimes when we're sad, it's because we're, we're deeply processing. You know, sometimes you don't even have to, you don't know consciously exactly why yet. It's a free-floating depression. But still, your psyche is working through something. And one of the things I talked about in the book is that today it's a lot of collective depression that we're experiencing. You know, the traditional psychotherapeutic model leads us astray in that it emphasizes, I think overemphasizes, the individual sufferer. My divorce, my business failure, my financial loss, my you know, death of a loved one. When so much of what is depressing us is simply living at the behest of the cultural attitudes that dominate the world in which we live. So I think that it's extremely important that we look at these attitudes and, and recognize that they are insane. The fact that there's this permanent war going on on this planet, it's insane. The fact that we are doing to the earth what we are doing environmentally, it's insane. So the, the, the fact that we're upset about it does not mean we're insane. So I think that it's, it's extremely important for us to begin to honor psychic pain, just like physical pain, for the information that it conveys. And the psychic pain, you know, what science is telling us is that somebody who is in mental anguish is registering pain in the same way. It manifests, of course, it, it, you know, from our emotions, but it, it, we're registering it the same way as physical pain and going back to the analogy of the broken bone. Well, if, if you're saying that they say, yeah, you see the change in your brain chemistry, well, sugar changes my brain chemistry, meditation changes your brain chemistry, chemistry neurocircuits and uh, transmitters and so forth. So the fact that science weighs in on this, first of all, this is a, an area of life uh, which I certainly honor and celebrate as much as anyone, don't get me wrong, but, and I, I think when it comes to things like schizophrenia and bipolar disease, clearly psychotherapeutic drug use is a legitimate conversation. But when it comes to these dark nights of the soul and the kind of situational despair we're talking about here, why would science that of itself does not factor the spirit into its calculations, being 
be able to provide a solution to what is a spiritual malaise. Oh. I'll, although I think science is speaking to that, you know, in uh, positive psychology, certainly there is uh, deep recognition of absolutely. spiritual practice. As oh, being. absolutely is. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, uh, uh, about antidepressants. Ch- chemistry. Yes, I, I agree with you. Yes. Yes. No, there's a revolution of consciousness going on within the field of psychotherapy and psychology, just as it's going on everywhere else. And I think that that's a lot of the readership for this book are therapists and coaches and psychiatrists and so forth who are looking for principles of spirituality with which they might expand their capacity to be uh, of use and uh, healing agents to their to their patients and clients who are upset. And indeed, and indeed the, the relationship or forging some kind of connection to spirit, higher, higher power, God, whatever the moniker is for the individual, whatever the connection is for the individual, we see this time and time again that when this spiritual life is ignited or is able to uh, be emboldened, that we see improvement in emotional well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Statistically, uh, it has been substantiated um, frequently. People who meditate, people who forgive, even live longer. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about this. Forgiveness is a principle that you and I agree is uh, transformational, but some people say, I can't do it. I, and this I hear every day in my practice. I just can't go there. Why is it so hard for me? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think that the real question we want to ask ourselves is, what effect is it having on me that I'm withholding forgiveness? Withholding forgiveness means withholding love. And miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. So whatever that person did to me, the universe is is self-correcting. The universe is more than ready to start up something new. Uh, But as long as I'm not forgiving the person that I feel hurt me before this moment, then I am deflecting the miracle of a new beginning. If I'm withholding love, I'm deflecting a miracle. So this is not a way that I'm hurting the other person. It's a way that I'm hurting myself. The way consciousness operates is an idea does not leave its source. So only when I'm willing to take the hook out of the other person does the hook come out of me. So you forgive ultimately as an act of generosity towards yourself. Yes, I agree. But still, for people, they say, "I, I, I, I get it intellectually, and yet... I can't let go. And, you know, I I offer that it is a process, although there can be that instant where forgiveness is granted and there is um, a dissipation of a lot of the symptoms that we're speaking of, a lot of the darkness. But for many, it is a process. They, They need time. Well, I don't think for many, I think for all of us, it's a process. If it's something serious, we have to forgive. But 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 the, the the issue of enlightenment is that enlightenment is a shift from body identification to spirit identification. If I'm focusing on what on what someone did to me, if I'm focusing on their guilt, if I'm focusing on their mistake, then I'm choosing to focus on the material plane. And if I keep my focus on what you did to me, then I am dooming myself to be at the effect of what you did to me because that's why I'm choosing to attach my belief. Real forgiveness, as books like The Course in Miracles talks about it, is where I'm extending my perception beyond the level of your mistake. Yeah, you made a mistake, I've made mistakes, but we are not in spirit 
doomed to be at the effect of those mistakes. And if we identify with the spiritual or the loving realm of eternal innocence, then the universe corrects itself. So I can focus on the mistake you made, or I can focus on the innocence in which God created you and in which you dwell forever. And then that journey, as you said, is a process. It's those 40 years. It's that three days. But as I hold to that higher consciousness, the circumstances of the world will change and my emotions will change. And the hook comes out, you know, in The Course in Miracles, it points out that the warden can't leave the prison any more than the prisoner can. As long as you're holding someone else prisoner to your sense of their guilt, you're holding yourself prisoner and you won't be able to really, really move on. Marianne, thank you for being with us this morning. Once again, Marianne Williamson is my guest. The book is Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. To connect and to learn more, please visit Marianne.com. On Facebook, Williamson Marianne. And on Twitter, the handle is at M-A-R Williamson. Thank you. From the fullness of my heart, Marianne, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about becoming yourself by living your truth. And my next guest has been doing this kind of business for a long time. Her latest book is The End of Self-Help, Rediscovering Peace and Happiness Right at the Heart of Your Messy, Scary, Brilliant Life. My guest today is Dr. Gail Brenner, who is a clinical psychologist, speaker, and author who joyfully helps people discover that suffering is optional and a lover of truth with a fire that burns brightly. She is the author of The End of Self-Help, Discovering Peace and Happiness Right at the Heart of Your Messy, Scary, Brilliant Life, which I mentioned before. Gail has worked with clients for more than 20 years, bringing laser-like clarity to the confusion of common human problems, such as reactive emotions, feelings of personal inadequacy, and relationship struggles. She offers the loving presence that invites people into harmony with all of life. 
Welcome, Gail. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, it's mutual. And what I love about the angle that you have written this book from, it is the end of self-help. It's like so many of us were always seeking, always seeking, help me, help me, help me. And you've got a little bit different spin on this. And I want to ask you to, to share that. Absolutely. So the spin is the truth, which is that we are already whole. We are already everything that we want for ourselves. So it's a matter of uncovering that. And what um, blocks us from realizing that are these conditioned identities that we hold about ourselves. So the end of self-help is about realizing how in our thoughts and our emotions, we get in our own way. And when we realize that, we can use tools to move through those conditioned patterns so that we can realize the peace and happiness and the infinite potential that's here right now and in any moment. It's so well put because so many of us really consider ourselves flawed or deficient or we're constantly judging and your approach comes from a different perspective. It's like it's already there, you know, much like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz where she already had everything she needed to find her way home. All she had to do was click her heels. Yes, it's a great metaphor for that. And the thing that keeps us from realizing what's actually true now and in any moment is that we buy into the content of our thoughts. So this thought about I'm inadequate, it's only a thought. It's not a reality. It's not a fact. It's just a series of words that appear in our mind that we give so much meaning to. And when we give all that meaning to it, it colors everything we look at, the way we look at everything and the things that we do. So it's a matter of realizing that that thought pattern that we're believing and buying into and making our reality is actually false and not an accurate description of who we are. Beautifully said. And, 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 you know, in the subtitle of your book, Discovering Peace and Happiness Right at the Heart of Your Messy, Scary, Brilliant Life, the the messy, scary, brilliant part, that is often... um, overlooked. And when we do look at it, we undermine and undervalue the fact that the messy, scary, brilliant parts, they're necessary. Absolutely. They're part of life. And I think there's, um, you know, it's called spiritual bypassing in the spiritual world. We tend to want to jump over the messy stuff and the painful feelings and the, the feelings that are hiding out in the recesses of our unconsciousness. We want to go into bliss and feel good. And everybody wants that. But um, it's, it's not actually real. What's real is we feel sad. We experience traumas. We react to things around us. And those reactions and emotions are food for our journey, that we welcome them. We don't push them away, but when we welcome them and realize that they're they're God-given, really, they're part of who we are, then we can find our way through them by accepting them, but not giving them power over us. And, and it, by accepting them, I think there's a step that really needs to happen before the acceptance, and that is the realization that when we have feelings of fear or uncertainty or doubt that when they are really seen as harbingers or almost like symbols that changes at work. Absolutely. And another word would that be would be doorway. They're they're all a doorway in to the realization of our true nature. 
Um, but I, I really hear your point that our society, especially now, we distract so much from ourselves. It's so, so hard to just sit and be still with all the distractions that we experience. And when we move away from our feelings and from ourself, we're missing what's actually here. And we're, we're living in some illusory world. But the invitation is always to just stop, stop take a breath. And we all know when we need to do that, you know, we're, we're feeling sad or we're feeling stressed, which is something very common in our society these days. And just to stop, take a breath and then bring the attention in and realize what's happening in our inner world and in our bodies. It's so important. And so if ultimately healing. We all, we always talk about happiness on this show because this yeah. is what we're driven by. But the, the, the concept of um, people not being happy, and, and, and I find this in, in Western culture more than other cultures in the world, that in the West we are driven compulsively by the illusion of happiness. And in other parts of the world, happiness is not even a word that's usually even discussed, and people just are happier. That's often true in, in certain cultures, of course. Um, but we have a, you know, I think our Western culture has some um, inherent um, struggles in it when we believe in these um, thought patterns that come into our minds. And so there's an opportunity, you know, the happiness is the same whether we're here or anywhere else. So it's really a matter of realizing that whatever layers are covering over this happiness, they're just layers to what's actually true right now. Yeah. And how do we help people who are struggling? You know, because a, a lot of people that listen to podcasts like these, people that read our books, they really are um, questioning, struggling, perhaps they're having a hard time. And what kind of tools, what kind of awarenesses can you give people or share that might make a difference, that might help them just, you know, turn the screw a quarter of an inch to consider a different possibility? Well, I think the, f the first thing is to realize that there is another possibility. And what I found with people is it really helps when they realize that there is another way, that happiness is actually possible for them. It helps to get fed up with your suffering because then you're willing to open up and take a look at your thoughts and your feelings because ultimately what needs to happen is an attention into thoughts and feelings to understand what thought patterns are running in the mind and being attached to by your attention that is, um, that is uh, interfering with that, that possible experience of happiness and to understand the emotion. So there's always this 180 turn from the world into our inner experience so we can see what's actually going on right in this moment that's making us suffer. I love what you just said that we get fed up with our suffering. Yeah. You know, suffering, you know, has a has like a, a a job description in a lot of our lives. In in that in that suffering can keep us stuck. It can keep us limited. It can keep a story or a tape running of an identity that actually keeps us from our happiness. But in fact, the struggle and the suffering are necessary components to the very transformation of it. They're necessary because they're here. 
So they need to be accepted because they're here. But but then once we realize that suffering is optional, we use that that suffering to our benefit, which means to our freedom and to our happiness. And just to get very specific, it's really about in the moment realizing what thoughts are there right in the mind right now that are limiting you or separating you from happiness and from the world and from what you really want for yourself. And to then begin to investigate those thoughts and see what they really are and to know that the content of any limiting thought is essentially not true. It cannot describe the magnificence of who you really are. And and, and thoughts, we are filled with probably tens of thousands of thoughts on a given day. And wherever we are focusing our attention is where it sticks. You know, that, you know, like we sort of glom on to that thought and then away we go. So what's really important to recognize is that our, we have the one thing we have a lot of control over is where we put our attention. So when we put our attention into thoughts that are limiting or painful or somehow um, describe us in diminishing ways, then we believe that that's the case. But we can pull our attention away from that thought. I, I call it losing interest in it. And then you can observe the thought without being attached to it. And then your attention can be on the breath or it can open to what's here right now. Or we can realize that, that, that everything that's here present in this moment is not of that thought process. It's not, the thought process is separate from that. And so when we, we, when we realize that we can lose interest in those thoughts, we can open to this loving presence that's here in this moment. When we lose interest in our thoughts, and I think that's a great term, by the way, um, is it because that there's another shiny new object that takes its place, whether it's presence, whether it's a, 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 another story somewhere over there in the distance, what is it that causes us to lose interest in the thought? What catalyzes it? We have to really want it because it doesn't happen naturally for people. We're very conditioned to buy into the content of our thinking. But it's not, in, in the way that I speak about it, it's not about finding another object. And presence is not an object. Presence is this reality that's here. It's the fundamental fabric of everything. So it's not an object. It's outside of the mind. And it's this, this experience of being rather than doing or thinking. I want to point out an example that may be useful for people who are listening, and that is if you're engaged in what we're saying, if, if, if you're present and fully sort of tuned in to what's going on in this conversation, then the interest or the, um, the process that lies in the background of fear and concern uh, and, and rumination over thought is temporarily suspended. So that is, is, is showing it in action. And, and I, I think what I hear you saying is that we have the ability to cultivate this as a practice in our lives. Absolutely. If we have the fire for truth and freedom and happiness, we can cultivate that. We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, I want to talk more about the fire with Dr. Gail Brenner to learn more about her and her work and her books. You can visit gailbrenner.com. On Twitter, that handle is gbgailbrenner, and on Facebook, gailbrenner.com, and that .com is spelled out. Once again, the book that we are talking about is The End of Self-Help, Discovering Peace and Happiness Right at the Heart of Your Messy, Scary, Brilliant Life. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. 
We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. I am speaking with the fabulous Dr. Gail Brenner, and we're talking about her newest book, The End of Self-Help, Discovering Peace and Happiness Right at the Heart of Your Messy, Scary, Brilliant Life. Prior to the break, we were talking with Gail about the concept of losing interest in our thoughts, you know, about finding that shiny new object that occupies our attention, even if it's just for a moment. And Gail, you know, we were talking prior to the break and I'm thinking about what you said. And when we're able to stitch together multiple moments of this place of being present, we do find ourselves radically shifting our experience of life. You know, the moments shift together, uh, stitch together by themselves. Really, it's any, so we don't even have to worry about that. It just kind of happens. But really, the, the interest is in the moment. So, you know, people often ask me, well, the, you know, I've done what you say, but the thoughts are coming back. The thoughts will come back. The feelings appear. This is part of the normal human experience. And it's kind of part also of the survival mechanism that's inherent in the human body. So these things come back, this conditioned pattern. But every moment, and this is what I find so amazing, the possibility is here in any and every moment for us to find freedom. And you don't have to worry about any other moment. It's just this one right now. Where is your attention is where is your attention going that's making you suffer? And then can you lose interest in whatever that is and open to this beautiful presence that's here right now? It's that simple. And the resisting of the thought, right? Because you talk about the thoughts being natural and they are natural. It's like, can you stop the waves in the ocean or can you stop the wind? None of us has the power to do that. 
the metaphor that I like is a sky and the clouds. So the clouds are the thoughts and some, some clouds are very stormy. You know, there's, there are feelings that are come up that are very painful and challenging, but we can be the sky and the sky observes and the sky holds everything. And the sky has no problem with any cloud that appears in it. So when we're sky, which the, in this metaphor is presence, is this loving awareness. We're just here and aware. We're, we're not confined to this human body. We're, we're beyond any thought. Then that's where peace lies. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about fear because we're afraid of fear. We hate experiencing fear. Yes, fear helps keep us safe, but generally we dislike our fear. You know, the fear of our feelings, the fear of trying something new, the fear of risking. We are occupied in many ways with fear, but there's something else that we can do with fear. Yes. Well, fear, as with any emotion, is a um, it's a story, and then there are physical sensations. So when it comes to any emotion, and fear is really the most basic emotion, it's really, really useful to get very friendly and familiar with how these emotions appear in our bodies. So when you say, I'm afraid, and then there's that physical contraction, just letting go of those thoughts just for a moment and bringing the attention in and opening to what's here in the physical body, that starts to... Um, disempower the fear because it's seen as just physical sensation and the story starts to lose its meaning. So opening into physical sensation is a great tool. It's a, for me, it's a lifestyle. You know, whenever I'm in, in, in somehow caught in a feeling, opening into the physical body always releases it. And, and what about the, the, the fear of, fe- of feeling? Because you know, we we fear feeling emotions, but what you're suggesting, I think, is even more primal than that. It's about feeling what's going on in our body, which then actually grounds us more fully in the present. And, you know, I also want to mention that it, we, when we talk about these fear of fear or fear of other emotions, you know, some people have had a really rough go of it in life and they have really strong emotions that they're they're terrified of going into. So what's needed then is a sense of safety and whether that's with a therapist or a teacher or ultimately the safe anchor for everyone and all of us that's always here is this understanding and knowing and experiencing awareness because like the cloud like the sky and the clouds coming in it awareness can hold everything all of these terrible experiences we've had and the feelings that we feel around those experiences they're held in this loving embrace of awareness always but there needs to be for for a lot of people this sense of safety before they can begin to peek into these emotions and the sense of safety for for those of us who have had a rough go of it, and I would say it's the majority of us. It's the majority of us humans have had a rough go of it. Not many we've of all, us. We've all yeah. had some trauma. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not many of us have had sort of um, the gentle ride through life. You know, we're all really affected by the things that have happened to us, been done to us, we've witnessed. And I think that your your counsel is very, very sage about the awareness being part of what can be that grounding safe place. 
That's right. And that, and knowing that awareness and it's, it's easy to overlook because it's not a thing, but it's just really, I I invite people in first by taking a breath and just, just focusing on on the breath and and a big conscious breath helps to cut that uh, attachment to the conditioning that just, just runs automatically. And then we open beyond the breath and we, and we open to what's here, this, this sense of aliveness that uh, a sense of enthusiasm, a sense of peace that's, that's maybe unusual or unfamiliar, but it's, it's here and available. And knowing that you can always return there. So it's normal for the attention to get caught up again. And, you know, you're in a, with your partner having the same, you know, struggle and conflict <laughs> that you're used to having. And there's always that opportunity to take a breath and relax away from all of that and just be here in this presence. It's, it's always here and always safe. It's a, it's a strong resource we can always rely on. And you talk about, you know, struggle with a situation or with a partner, you know, finding ourselves in that continued loop. And what you share, I believe, is the same strategy for working with ourselves individually. You know, when we find ourselves returning to the rumination, returning to the anxiety, the fear, the, um, the, the sort of nonstop chatter that goes on in a lot of our minds, that this awareness also becomes that anchor point for our own safety. That's right. Absolutely. It's true in relationship as well. But another thing I want to add about relationship is that in this reality, this presence, there's this sense of non-separation. Some people call it oneness where it's undivided. Everything is yourself. Everything is the same. And it's a really useful practice to use that in relationship where you look at your partner or anyone as yourself and you, you know, you allow your heart to open to them rather than have the, the veils of the defenses in play and just to drop those veils and, and move away, shift away from them and go into the heart and go into this opening into what is where nothing is separate from anything else. And then there's this ability to see this person in front of you freshly and with new eyes and with this sense that we're all essentially the same in the one. I agree with what you say completely. And I also challenge in a good way, um, what you're saying for people that say, you want me to what? You want me to see that guy or that that lady who perhaps uh, is somebody that we do love, but has also been the source of a lot of our our agitation and conflict as as the same as me or as as one. I think that for a lot of people, this is very, very hard to digest, which is what makes this practice so exquisitely beautiful and simple, but perhaps more complicated um, for the beginner to experience. Yeah. So a couple things about that. One is really, it's never about the other person. We might like to think it is and get into blaming and everything, but that's just another thought pattern that masks the possibility of this peace and happiness right now. So the invitation is always look at, look to look at what we're contributing to that conflict or problem. And the other thing I want to recommend is just going slow. Like when you start to think of, you know, everything is yourself, don't start with your hardest person, you know, go to (laughs) 
the grocery store or, you know, think about it as your and, and the, the person in line in front of you or your pet or the random person on the street and just really or a driver that maybe, you know, annoys you by something that they've done. Just just play with this this idea. It can be an idea to start that. Wow. You know, that's me also that they, they, they are the same, essentially the same presence, the same awareness. Yes. You know, I like the, the idea of using it even on a stranger, you know, that, that, that activating empathy and compassion for somebody that we don't know allows us to experience it successfully and then sort of test drive it in these other areas of our lives. I have to tell you, one of my most joyous times is to go into a Starbucks by myself and sit there and just open to every single being there. It's just bliss. Yes, it is. And you have been blessed. What a, what a what a wonderful interview. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Gail Brenner. The book we have been discussing is The End of Self-Help, Discovering Peace and Happiness Right at the Heart of Your Messy, Scary, Brilliant Life. To learn more, please visit www.gailbrenner.com. On Twitter, that handle is gbgailbrenner. And on Facebook, gailbrenner.com and the dot com is actually spelled out here are a few closing thoughts before we part happiness is not a destination it cannot be bought sold or traded happiness will never invite you to the party it simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion purpose place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Marianne Williamson and Dr. Gail Brenner, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.